to the High Praises Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. We are in this series called The Creed, and it is based on the Apostles' Creed, which is a summation of the foundational beliefs of Christianity. And um, basically, this was used by the early church uh, because it was simple, it was easy to memorize, and it was a way for them to articulate what they believed uh, in, in a way that they could understand and communicate easily to other people. So Pastor Terrence shared a few weeks ago, the creed is not scripture. It, it, in and of itself, it is not scripture, but it is based upon scripture. So I want to read the creed together before we go any further. Uh, let's read it together. It says, I, we, you know, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, which means the church at large, the the church of Jesus Christ, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And amen. And so today we're going to focus on one particular part of the creed. It says, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Now, um, you know, my wife reminds me that, you know, not everybody always knows when you start using these spiritual terms and you start using these, like the creed and things like that, not everybody knows necessarily what you're talking about. So if you don't know what the ascension is, Um, Jesus, as Pastor Evan shared last week, he was crucified, he was buried, and he resurrected on the third day. That's what we believe as Christians. After that, he actually appeared to the disciples, and he spent some time on the earth, and then he ascended back to heaven to be with the Father. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. So that's what we mean when we talk about the ascension into heaven. Um, But today, I want to talk about a different part of the creed. So let's turn, if you will or if you want to flip there in your app, or if you want to watch on the screen, we're going, to, we're going to start in Revelation chapter 20. But first, I wanted to tell you, when I was a student at Lee University, I had the opportunity to visit Greece. Um, we visited the city of Athens, Greece, and saw many of the wonderful sights there. It was incredible to actually be in such a historic place. And I realize so many people will never get to physically see that. But back in those days, we didn't have iPhones, or even camera phones, really, for that matter. In fact, the first iPhone was not released until about three years after the trip. So I'm kind of telling my age a little bit. Um, so sadly, I have very few pictures of my time there, <laughs> much to you know my dismay. But I can still remember so many of the details, just like it was yesterday. I remember going to a restaurant and ordering the sea bass. And when dinner arrived... I literally got a sea bass. The eyes, 
the lips, the entire sea bass. And I looked at a friend and I said, what am I going to do with this? And I nearly went to bed hungry that night, but luckily there is a McDonald's on every corner of every city in the world. And the Athens McDonald's proudly serves Greek Macs, which is basically a Big Mac and a Euro. So even though I ate McDonald's, I still got a little bit of the whole Greek food experience. Amen. <laughs> anyway, one of those things we got to do on that trip was to take a cruise of the Greek islands. We visited the island of Rhodes, where five of us got in a two-door Fiat that my then 450-pound, six-foot-eight brother drove up the side of a mountain. Me and my brother and three other people in this tiny little Fiat. It was quite an experience. <laughs> we visited uh, Mykonos. Have, has anybody ever heard of Mykonos? Okay, so people in this service did. Nobody had heard of it in the last service. It's a beautiful island where all of the houses are white. All of the buildings really are white with blue doors. Oh, gorgeous. It's a gorgeous island. We rented four-wheelers and drove all over the island with the sea breeze blowing in our hair, and it was unforgettable. But one of the stops we made was to the Isle of Patmos. And I can remember getting off the boat and walking up a road which led to the monastery of the Revelation. Inside the monastery is a place called the Cave of the Revelation. And I remember walking down a very old stone staircase um, and actually standing in the very place where it is believed that John, the disciple of Jesus, had the vision of the end times that we know as the book of Revelation. Before we read our text, I, I just want to give you a little bit of background information. The book of Revelation is the book that is placed at the very end of the New Testament. Theologians agree that the writer of Revelation is John, the same man who wrote the book of John and the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John lived longer than any of the other disciples. He walked with Jesus. He was there when Jesus was crucified. He saw the nail prints in Jesus' hands and feet. So if so nobody else at the time, you know, at that time, many people, I can't say nobody, but of the disciples, John was the last, the oldest disciple, the longest living disciple. He actually experienced time with Jesus. John was then sent to the Isle of Patmos and punished for his belief in the word of God and his testimony about Jesus. John writes in Revelation 1, if you go and read it, he was caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day and he sees a vision and he begins to write what he sees in this vision concerning the things to come. So let's take a look at Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them, meaning they were completely destroyed. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. So if you've ever heard anybody talk about the Lamb's book of life, this is what they're referring to. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead, 
that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And this is where we see a distinction drawn between believers and unbelievers. Now, I realize this is a very sobering passage of Scripture, and if you have ever talked to me for about five seconds, you know that it is not in my nature to read from a passage like this. I'm the nice guy on the staff. I'm the guy that errs on the side of grace. I'm the peacemaker, and I've always been the peacemaker wherever I am. I want everybody to get along, and I certainly don't want to talk about anything controversial. But I really wanted to find another passage, I'll be honest. I wanted to find another passage that the Bible talked about, maybe the authority of Christ, and he ascended, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he has authority over sickness, and he has authority over whatever, money, and he has authority over your situation. I thought, man, that would be a really powerful message, and that would be exciting, and somebody might even shout, and we might have a big altar call. Um, you know, we could have talked about how Jesus has authority over trials and temptations, and he knows what you're facing today, and, and all those things are true. We could have gone that direction. We could have talked about justice, how God is the God of justice, and he is a God of justice. There's so many things, uh, but I just kept going back to this passage of Scripture, and I hope you'll hear my heart today, because I don't want to be negative. This is, this is a, again, it's a sobering passage of Scripture, but my heart is to um, open our eyes this morning and to, to just help us to see this in a different light. So I know Pastor Terrence and Pastor Evan talked a little bit about why we're doing this series. I can't take credit for this series. Um, it was truly a team effort. But the idea for the series actually came one day in the office shortly after Pastor told us he would be taking a sabbatical. He pulled out the calendar, and he told us each of the Sundays we would be preaching. I had no idea, honestly, that... I was going to be preaching again anytime soon. But for several weeks around that time, the Holy Spirit had been dealing with me about clarifying the foundational beliefs of Christianity. And it didn't occur to me that it was necessarily for high praises. I just thought maybe it was my own personal desire to develop a more thorough understanding of exactly what I believe. So when I found out that I would be preaching, I just, I mentioned to Pastor Evan, I said, hey, what if this is what God's been dealing with me about what if we did a series to talk about what we believe? And lo and behold, he told me that he had been having a similar feeling, that we just needed to delve into those you know, foundational beliefs of Christianity and just clarify what we believe. So it all started for me with an article in the New York Times that was written back in April. And in the article, the columnist re interviews the president of the Union Theological Seminary in New York. They talk about the main ideas of the Christian faith. So that was kind of what got me thinking about all this. They talked about things like the virgin birth. We know that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Yet this article suggests that belief in the virgin birth has led to centuries of oppressing women. They talk about the resurrection of Jesus after the crucifixion. 
And this seminary president makes fun of Christians for developing an obsession with the resurrection. She says that to believe in the necessity of the resurrection, and I quote, seems to me to be a pretty wobbly faith. One of the most disturbing statements in the entire article is a response to the question, what happens after we die? This Christian theological seminary president responds, I don't know. There may be something, there may be nothing. My faith is not tied to some divine promise about the afterlife. I'm absolutely certain that when we die, this is her speaking in the article, there is not a group of designated bad people sent to burn in hell. That does not exist. Hell is just a symbolic reality. And she goes on to talk about social justice and that kind of thing. I'm here to tell you I didn't make this up. This is real. This was an actual article that appeared in a major mainstream newspaper two months ago. And the respondent is a Christian seminary president. Now, I'm not her judge, but I can tell you that based on what we see in the Holy Scriptures, she is deceived and she is spreading lies to other people and labeling it Christianity. But her version of Christianity could not be any further from the, the truth of biblical Christianity. So when we were dividing up the Apostles' Creed and trying to decide which section would fall on which particular week, I apparently drew the short straw. <laughs> so the week that I'm supposed to speak just happened to be the week we are talking about judgment. Like I said, I wanted to find a way to preach around judgment without preaching judgment. But then it hit me. In a culture where Christians are being misrepresented, our beliefs are being wildly distorted, and people are becoming more and more susceptible to lies, what better time to talk about the reality of what is coming? Amen? In 1948, 68% of Americans identified as Protestant Christians. And in the 1970s, that number rose to 71%. 71% of people self-identified as Protestant Christians. By 2016, however, that number plummeted to just 37%. Only 37% of Americans identified as Protestant Christians. And that was almost three years ago, three, four years ago. So there's no telling what that number would be today. Last week, I had the opportunity to listen to a reputable apologist deliver a series of lectures about using science to share our beliefs with unbelievers. And by the way, that's another area that I don't really get into because I just like to have a nice conversation and just smile and you know, my brothers say that I have the innocence of a child, uh, and I just want to walk around, everything be happy, and everybody be good. But he actually made a statement that I, I, I think is true after seeing what he had to present. He said it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian because there are a lot of things that have changed with, with uh, the abilities of science 
So anyway, I won't go there because I don't, I don't know his whole presentation. But just know that, um, you know, that that's out there. Anyway, he said that if a person, <laughs> there I go, down the rabbit trail. He said that if a person cannot articulate their faith by the time they are in middle school, if they cannot explain their faith beyond saying, I believe in Jesus and I have been baptized. So beyond saying, I believe in Jesus and I have been baptized, then they will likely leave the church in their teen years and never return. We are under immense pressure. And even kids are under immense pressure to compromise our faith in order to accept what God says is wrong. And it's all in the name of love, justice, tolerance, or acceptance. But the reality is, some people, some people are going to spend eternity in hell. That's sad. It really is. It tears me up. But in Revelation 20, John highlights a sharp division between the saved and the lost. I do agree with the seminary president in one respect. Hell is not for a group of designated bad people. Hell is for lost people. As a Christian and a pastor, I am not advocating that we hate anybody. So please do not misrepresent what I'm saying today. Our message is not a message of gloom, doom, and despair. And we do not want people to go to hell. Amen? However, we do believe that sin is real. And sin is what separates us from God. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is in our very nature to commit sin. And we find in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. And according to Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, anyone whose name is not found and written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, the issue of where we spend eternity goes to the very core of our Christian beliefs. This is such a deep theological issue, I really don't have time to completely unpack it today. But if I may, I would like to provide uh, an oversimplification this morning so that we can understand why it is necessary in the first place, why salvation is necessary in the first place. All the way back in Genesis, we read the story of Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sin against God in the Garden of Eden, they cause a separation between God and man. God's intention from the beginning is that man would have dominion over the earth and that we would have fellowship with God. But we were separated from God from that point on and there was always a sacrifice required to atone for the sins of man. As a matter of fact, if you read the Old Testament, you will read all of the laws that were established, and you'll read about all the sacrifices that were required for man to pay the price for sin. Then, as Pastor Terrence and Pastor Evan have already preached, Jesus comes to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins so that the relationship between man and God can be reestablished once and for all. Jesus came as a man. He was tempted without sin. He died on a cruel cross, and he rose from the dead 
And then he ascended to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. One day, sin will be judged. And some people, some people will be cast into the lake of fire. As John writes in Revelation 20, verse 15. But as hard as it is to think about people spending eternity in hell, it is equally as wonderful to think about what God has in store for people who spend eternity in heaven. So let's take a look at Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That means that you know, we come into this place and we sing and we just magnify the Lord and we ask him to fill this place with his presence and the Holy Spirit comes in, but one day we're going to meet him face to face. We're going to be in God's presence and he's going to be with us and we're going to be with him. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And this is where the curse of sin in Genesis 3 is broken. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Now what I think is kind of funny, as I was studying this passage, is uh, the commentator says, when, when the scripture says, then he said, so God says, I am making everything new. Then he said, they said that the, the, you know, the, the words in the ancient language suggest that somebody else said, then he said. Maybe it was an angel. We don't really know. But he is directing John's attention because John is so astounded by the splendor of heaven that he forgot to write. Can you imagine an angel just slapping John on the back and saying, Hey, get out your pen and write this down. He said, Write this down for the words, these words are trustworthy and true. He, this is God speaking again, says to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. You see, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a part of the family of God. Amen. Can we give the Lord praise? Hallelujah. You know, sometimes I get a little discouraged when I read that passage in Revelation 20, but when I read Revelation 21, I actually get excited. The scriptures tell us, that there will be a day when God will dwell among us. There will be no more death, no more crying or pain, and he will wipe the tears from our eyes. And then God himself says in verse 7 that he will be our God and we will be his children. We will all be a part of the family of God. 
When I read these passages from Revelation 20 and 21, I don't get the sense that God is an angry old man and he cannot wait to condemn lost people to hell. But I do get the sense, however, that he is a loving father and he cannot wait for the day when he will wipe every tear from our eyes and he will be our father and we will be his children. In fact, as we read through the Bible, we find out that God does not want anybody to spend eternity in hell. He does not want anybody to spend eternity in hell. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If you go to 2 Peter when you get home and read chapter 3, we, what we see is the very things that we've been talking about today. He said that the last days will come, scoffers will come, or ignorant people who have forgotten or even forsaken the truth. And in some way, shape, or form, I believe they are saying, where is the Lord? They're getting impatient. They're saying, where is the Lord? Now, those may not be the actual words they're using, but they are basically saying it is more important to be a citizen of this world, to embrace the cultural norms of our day, than to cling to the timeless truths of God's word. In other words, if there are no consequences for our actions, as the New York Times article suggests, then why does it matter what we do? Yet the Holy Spirit says, writing through the, through the writing of the Apostle Peter, God loves you. He is so patient with you. Don't wait another second to receive the salvation that he has offered through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. There's that word again, lost. Through the New Testament, if you read the New Testament, Jesus constantly reminds us of his unity with the Father, which is God. These are not the words of a God who wants to condemn people to hell. These are the words of a God who sent his only son to reconcile the relationship between God and man once and for all to find that which was lost and return it to him. Amen? Amen. So what does that mean for us as individuals, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as High Praises Church? I believe it means that we must have a burden for the lost like never before. We must have a burden and a passion for the lost like never before. The final verse in my text today from Revelation 21 says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now here's what I find so disturbing about that passage 
When it says cowardly in this verse, it doesn't mean fear. It doesn't mean somebody who's afraid. Uh, it means it is referring to people who choose self and safety before choosing a relationship with God. In other words, they're going to follow their own selfish desires. Or they're going to choose safety so they don't want to offend anybody in the world. And they're going to choose safety before choosing a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the one who fails to trust in the love of Jesus Christ, that is what it means to be a coward in this sense. And I don't know about you, but that is exactly the attitude that I see being embraced in the culture today. Men and women, students, even children are bowing to the selfish, sinful desires of this world and even rewriting the foundational beliefs of Christianity to fit the agenda of this world. And they are forsaking eternal things in favor of temporary things. In essence, they are choosing hell. Uh, that's, that's just, I know it's hard. I know it's a hard thought. Because um, again, I'm one of those people <laughs> that just want to push everything under the rug and I don't want to get anybody riled up. And this is major for me to come out and say something like this to you. But I feel like as a part of this series, this is what the Holy Spirit would have me to convey. Pastor Larry Stock still gives an illustration in his book, The Remnant. In the Indonesian tsunami of 2005, over 250,000 people were lost. If all those people were to stand in a line, that line would stretch over 40 miles. There are approximately 6 billion people in the world today at the time of this writing, so it may be more today. If we assume that there are around 1.5 billion Christians in the world today, that means that there are around 5 billion, 5 billion people who do not know Christ. Stock still writes, if the number of people who are lost were to stand in a line, it would stretch around the equator over 40 times. 40 times around the entire circumference of the earth. Now, I hope as you listen to this message that your heart is broken as mine is. As you ponder the weight of this message and you consider the reality of judgment. But I also hope that you have a renewed sense of urgency to share the gospel and to pray for those who are lost. Even our own friends and family members who we love. We can never stop praying that the, that the Holy Spirit will draw them and that they will enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's stand together. And um, as we, we stand here, I just want to uh, talk to you about a couple things. Um, I, I want us, first of all, let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I don't want anybody looking around this morning. This is maybe a little different than the way we do it usually. But if you're in this place this morning and you're not 
a Christian, you may be hearing about judgment for the first time. And perhaps you have been away from the Lord. You've not really been thinking about the seriousness of things to come. Well, this morning, I did not talk about judgment to to scare you or to make you feel condemned. It is quite the opposite. I talked about the judgment today because I want you to know that as of this moment, there is still time. You could be anywhere else today, but you chose to be here at High Praises. You do not have to leave this place today without knowing that your name is written in the book of life and that you are going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Without anyone looking around, please, just praying right now. If that's you, will you please lift up your hand so I can see it? If you need to accept Jesus Christ today, would you just lift your hand and and I'll see it and then we'll pray. Okay. Well, that's okay this morning. I just am believing that everybody here is a believer in Jesus Christ, and that is wonderful. So, so let's let's just we can lift up our heads now and look at me. I, I, you know, I just want to share one more thing with you. Now, I need to ask everyone a question. I want to talk to another group of people here today, and that's to those that have loved ones, or friends, neighbors, coworkers, family members are not serving the Lord. If you know someone who needs Jesus today, I want you to just simply raise your hand and keep it up. I'm raising my hand. I know someone who does not know Jesus. So I'm raising my hand today. Almost all of us know somebody. You can put your hand down. Almost all of us know somebody who if they died right now, they would face judgment. Face eternity without Jesus Christ. You know, I didn't plan on saying this. And again, I'm not trying to scare you. I don't have any desire to scare you. Because the truth is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're, you're going to have, um, it's going to be a totally different experience for you. But I, as I researched about hell, and I researched about what it's going to be like, one person said, it's going to be total isolation and you're going to be sitting in your thoughts for eternity forever and you're going to wonder why because none of that stuff up there meant anything when it comes to eternity and again I pray that everybody here is a believer in Jesus Christ today but it just to me it stirs the passion in me to pray for those who are lost and to not let anybody that I know, I, at least that I'll do everything I can to keep them from experiencing that pain for all of eternity. So I want to pray together right now because it, it seems that many people know somebody that's lost. Let's pray in agreement right now as the church and as High Praises Church, as a family of believers. Let's just pray that... Um, you know, that, that the Holy Spirit will touch them and that they will receive Jesus Christ. And as before we, before we do that, when we're finished praying, I've got one more thing I want to tell you, and then you're going to be dismissed. But let's pray together, and then I've got one more thing to share with you. So, Heavenly Father, we just come before you today, and I thank you, God, 
for this opportunity to just dig into your word. And I don't know who this message has ministered to. And maybe it was just for me. Maybe it's just to stir a fresh passion and a fresh desire in me to reach those who are not with you today, God. But Lord, I just pray with these precious people, God, that you would touch their friends and their family and their co-workers and their neighbors and their loved ones. God, that, that all of us would have a passion to share the gospel and have a passion to see the lost saved and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would move in power and convict those who are lost that they would accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God, we're believing this together today as we join in agreement. Hallelujah. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I have one more thing to share with you. And, um, and I'll try to be quick. Um, you know, one of the things we want to do is encourage you to invite people to high praises. And so today is Sunday, June the 16th. Uh, the last Sunday of this month is Sunday, June the 30th. And I'll be preaching again that day, and I'm going to be bringing a, a, an evangelistic message, an exciting message of encouragement and a message of hope. And I want you to bring... I want you to invite somebody to join us here at High Praises. I want you to think of a friend or a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, somebody that you can invite to High Praises, that we can minister to them and show them the love of Jesus Christ, believing that their life is going to be changed. And here's the cool thing. We're going to provide you with some tools to help you do that. And so next Sunday, there are going to be some cards on your chair they're called invite cards. They're like a little business card that's going to have all of our church information on them. And we're going to put a bundle on each chair. And we want you to take those things and leave them anywhere you can think of. I mean, throw them out the window as you're driving down the road. <laughs> you know? I, I don't know. Don't do that. Maybe don't do that. Because we don't want to be a belittering church, right? So, but leave them at the restaurant as long as you're going to tip. Uh, leave them in the bathrooms. You're washing your hands. Leave them right there on the sink. Put them on a bulletin board, leave them in the break room at work, anywhere you can think of, because we're going to get a bunch of them. And, and we just want to get them all over this area to let people know about high praises. Here's the other tool we're going to give you, and I think this one's really cool. And I had several people in the first service tell me that it was really cool. We're going to get these gift card holders. We'll have them next week. And it's got all of our church information on it. And we're going to buy those and give them to you. And then you can take those and put a little gift card in them little blessing for somebody, maybe $5 to Starbucks, or maybe you want to go above and beyond and bless somebody with a meal, and you're going to put $25 or $50 in there, buy somebody's gas, or maybe bless a family that you know needs groceries. And it's going to be a tool that you can use to bless somebody and invite them to church and spark that conversation with them about the Lord. It's just a tool. It's not magic. Uh, it's just a tool. That's all it is. You just want to bless somebody you just want to, you know, say, hey, I'm blessed to be a blessing. This is for you. But I also want to just tell you that, you know, hey, Jesus loves you. I go to a great church. I'd love to share that with you. If you want to come with me Sunday, June the 30th, whatever, you get the point. It's a tool that you can use. And um, so what do you think? Is that, is that cool or what? So we're going to give you those things next Sunday. We're asking you to invite somebody with you on Sunday, June the 30th. Bring them with you. Let's pack this place out. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to do. If the prayer team will come... As I pray a prayer of dismissal, I want us to be available. 
And if anybody has a need this morning, or if you want to come, if you're thinking about it, you just didn't want to raise your hand in front of all these people, we get that. As everybody's leaving, you come down. You, you talk to us here one-on-one. We want to pray with you. We want to minister to you if you have a need, if there's a healing, whatever it is. We're here for you. The altar is open. I'm going to pray. We're going to dismiss. The praise team is going to sing. And we are here for you. So, Lord, we just come before you today and thank you for this service. I thank you for the work that you've done. I believe somebody's heart is stirred today. I believe somebody um, maybe is thinking about that, that relationship with Jesus Christ and they're going to strengthen that relationship. Somebody even still is thinking about reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. They're going to go out and they're going to talk to someone that they love or they care about. They're going to share the gospel. God, that's the kind of thing that's happening today. Thank you for your power and for your presence. I pray that each person would be blessed as they leave this place today. Keep your hand upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.